Welcome back to Omni Football. Today we have a very special guest in the house. We have Andres Tello. He is here to talk to us on the podcast, give us his insight, and uh, just be an honorary guest. How's it going? It's going. It's going. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. Um, so why don't you give just a little, give the people just a little brief, brief uh, history about you and soccer and how you are. Um, I played soccer growing up. Um, always had fun playing it. Um, feel a lot of touch with it. Always kept in in touch with the World Cup and everything like that. And then fell back in love with soccer around 2012. Um, started watching Arsenal again and have missed very few games since then. Mostly watched the Premier League, U.S. Men's National Team, everything like that. Nice. Yeah, actually, that's actually kind of the around the time that I started watching. The Premier League too around 2012, but um, I remember that we we used to go to some LA Galaxy games mm-hmm. when we were younger together. Um, so I feel like we kind of. Do you think that we we started with the MLS in terms of professional games, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, other than catching the odd um, like U.S. Men's National Team game on TV or everything like that, it was mostly going to Galaxy games from your dad taking us and and really growing to love the sport that way. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, what's it called? Uh, I definitely remember that we we would catch like the odd like Clasico game. For anyone who doesn't know, um, the Clasico in World Cup Co- and in, in the world football scene is um, is a game that's periodically hosted once a year, twice a year between Real Madrid and Barcelona of the Spanish league. Um, those two teams. Uh, we're are probably still the most popular teams in the world. Would you say? Yeah, probably up there with Man United. Yeah, I think it's them too, and then Man United somewhere. In yeah. There. Mm-hmm. So I feel like when at least when you're younger and you don't really have your own like loyalties to your team, or you haven't really picked a team to like support, um, I feel like you kind of you kind of fall into the classico either Real Madrid Barcelona, because it's kind of just like the best game of the year, kind of. Would mm-hmm. you say? Um, yeah, I think I think that's definitely where you can see some of the top talent in the world go go at each other. Um, I think throughout the years it's gotten pretty intense in terms of like fouls and everything like that. I think it goes through its drop offs when like elite players leave or they start to decline, but I think it's it still holds up pretty well. That's true, actually. I would say I don't know, maybe it's nostalgia, but I remember when I, we were younger. I remember the the classicos being more of an occasion than and having more superstars maybe than than they do now i mean it's kind of it's kind of true to say that real madrid and barcelona have both kind of fallen off a bit from where they were quality wise right yeah i'd say um for real madrid obviously losing uh cristiano ronaldo is massive yeah um even if he wasn't producing like he used to i think just losing that star appeal on the on the field is massive um and i think I think those teams were a lot more dominant in the league and the matchups between them were almost like six pointers where where um a loss against their rival could like very well determine who wins the league that season but yeah yeah that's a good actually that's a good point um I think that the Spanish league for a long time has been dominated by those two teams um Real Madrid and Barcelona so I feel like that was also part of the occasion but but yeah, so um, we definitely um, have grown to love the game from a long, 
uh, a long historic run here. Um, definitely watching different types of soccer. Um, and um, so, yeah, so it's good to have you, man. Um, and um, yeah, hopefully we can get into some interesting topics of conversation. So this podcast is going to primarily focus on the U.S. culture of soccer, um, specifically the MLS and, you know, the U.S. team in general. Um, so this podcast is going to be called Road to World Cup 2026. So for all you who may not know, um, the the podcast or sorry, the United States recently within the last couple of years won the rights to host, host the World Cup of Soccer, the World Cup um, here in the United States in 2026. So technically it's going to be the U.S., Canada and Mexico try hosting it, but um, but the U.S. is going to have the majority of those games. And it's interesting, too, because the last time I believe the World Cup was here was in 1994. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting because I, it's also interesting how that relates to the MLS, because I remember that reading that we at the United States won the bid to get the 1994 World Cup mm. because we committed to making a professional soccer league. Mm. So that was one of the like stipulations. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to host it in 1994 and 2 years later the MLS started. Yeah. No, that's huge and also like um with it being in the United States, um our parents actually went to some games, which is huge. Um Remember my mom, who's not a massive fan, but um, she went with your dad to the game where um, um, I believe his name is Andres um, Escobar, I want to say. The defender for Colombia scored the own goal. I don't remember that, no. Yeah, um, I think he was later killed in Colombia. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I, I remember that story. Yeah, that was actually a pretty sad story to hear. I didn't know his name, though, but... Yeah, I think... I believe that's his name. But, um, yeah, I remember... That was that World Cup? Mm-hmm. Dang, yeah. I, I've, we, may, we may be able to pull up that story in a bit, but, um, yeah, I remember hearing about that. I mean, definitely the world of soccer is important for a lot of countries around the world, especially the World Cup. And definitely... I mean, soccer players in general aren't necessarily immune to violence um, or danger from their own country. Um, I know that, um, I think it was Egypt that I was reading about recently um, that were, were like really threatened during the last World Cup by people in their own country um, because they had a lot riding on it, right, mm-hmm. I guess, and like they if if like the players didn't perform um there could be like consequences and like threats mm. against them so definitely the the world of soccer is definitely a complex place it's not just like rosy and cheery all the time especially in countries where it's maybe not even safe a safe profession to be honest mm-hmm. um but yeah that's crazy um but so going back to 1994 that's like that was the last time the World Cup was here. I don't know who won that um, that 1994 World Cup. I want to say France did, but I could be wrong. I think Brazil won 98, no? World Cup 1994, U.S. Oh, the, the Brazil did. Oh, yeah. Brazil played against Italy in that, in that, that World Cup final. So I wonder who was in that Brazil team. I know Baggio was in the Italy team, I believe. 
Let's see. Here we go. Um, oh, it went to penalties. It was 0-0 at the end of the World Cup final, and it went to penalties. That, that was in the Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl of Pasadena. 94,000 people. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's crazy because um, the Rose Bowl is a pretty big place. I don't know if you may or may not know. The Rose Bowl is like a huge kind of like football stadium, American football stadium, really. And uh, it holds a lot of people. 94,000 people is, is a huge stadium. That's where uh, UCLA plays their uh, football games. Um, it's a massive stadium. Uh, that's where we went to see uh, Chelsea-Liverpool. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. When they came on like a U.S. tour, mm -hmm. they played against each other. Um, I remember seeing, I think it was... Uh, was it the Copa America? I think where it's like all of the American, like mm -hmm. North America, South America teams. Mm -hmm. They they came here and they played as well. And it, that place gets pretty awesome when it's filled. Um, dang, dude, that's crazy. That's awesome. I, it's a shame that I was two years old at that point and couldn't have gone, you know. Or if I yeah. did, I wouldn't have known anything, you know. Yeah. But no, that's, that's huge. That's awesome. Um but yeah, so it's interesting just to see how in since 1994 to now 2026, like 22 years later, um, you know, where is it 22 years or 32? Where's it 22? Um, 32. 20, 20, wait, since uh, 1994, it's 20, it's 32 years. Oh, oh, until the next World until Cup. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dang. Okay. So yeah, in the last 32 years, it's interesting to see how the U.S. has progressed not only in terms of, like, the players that played, but also um, the culture, I guess. Um, it's interesting how the, the one of the stipulations for having the World Cup, 1994, was to have a, the U.S.'s own professional team or professional league. And by the time the World Cup comes around, we'll have a fully developed professional league. 30 teams around the nation and i'm showing andres now the 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 map of the united states that i will link below in the description with all the teams that we have here but it's interesting is to know that back in the 1996 we only had 10 now we're gonna have 30 and it's just kind of crazy how the like it's come full circle you know what mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. well it will have in 2026 It'll be interesting to see like what what stadiums they use, you know. Yeah. Um. So um, I took a class at UCLA, right, where um, the director of the LA Coliseum actually came in, and said that, like a few years ago, they've already started making modifications at the Coliseum to be able to accommodate the Olympics that um that are that are gonna be in twenty twenty eight, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. um, the LA Olympics and then um, the World Cup as well. Um, I know they're making accommodations to actually have the field, have a like a field right under it that isn't visible by all the fans. And that's going to be like a warm up track for the people that are coming up next to speed oh. up to speed up the process of the of the athletes warming up and, and things like that. So it's really interesting to see how they're going to shift away from that. Um I think in overall there's a big shift towards um, premium seating, right? Like instead of seating ten people, they'd rather make a box and and fill that for tens of thousands of dollars for the premier yeah. premier games. Yeah. So um, I that, think it's going to be interesting to see what they um, what stadiums they choose. Um, 
yeah, what which ones can accommodate that large amount of people that are gonna come? Yeah. Um, I know that the Olympics in 2028 is going to be in LA, Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and then the World Cup in 2026 is going to be a tri-host of uh, the United States, um, Canada, and Mexico. Yeah, um, I believe the opening games are in Mexico as well. Yeah, opening games are in Mexico. Oh, here's like a little list of of places, potential places that could be in in use for the world cup in 2026 it's interesting you bring up though before we go on to that it's interesting you bring up the the idea of making like premium seating and i uh a like focus mm -hmm. because i remember watching a video uh recently where the they were describing the way that airlines um made back when before pandemic mm -hmm. made their money mm -hmm. because like most of the money that they made on every flight is not because they had the the plane full. It was mm. just because they sold the first class. Mm. Because each first class ticket is like thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And like the premium, like the amount of profit that they get from even just the full first class mm -hmm. greatly outweighs the rest of the plane, no matter mm -hmm. how expensive or full it comes. Yeah. And it's 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 interesting that that is kind of a sad reality of like just business in general and especially in things where it's like limited capacity kind of like a plane to a certain degree and then like a stadium to a certain degree mm -hmm. because it's a one-time thing you know and like these like games may be only like 90 90 000 people is a lot of people but mm -hmm. you know like uh, you know if everyone's tickets only twenty dollars you know it, mm -hmm. that's not necessarily a huge amount compared to like if you sell like five thousand tickets of box seats for like hundreds of thousands of dollars you know what mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. so um so yeah that's an interesting point to think about um it's not necessarily an a, like a strategy for the common man but um but you can definitely see how events like this like the world cup and the, the la olympics and things of those like high nature like really wide-reaching nature can be really profitable for people for the for the people who are putting it on you mm -hmm. know yeah so we're looking right now at the kind of the proposed um map of the world cup 2026 um so i may or may not be able to put this on because this is um this is like a publications photo but if i can i'll link it down below but what i want to go through is um because the world cup is is like based going to be based within canada the united states and mexico um i kind of want to go through some of the stadiums that are currently in the mls that at least reside in canada and the united states the major league major league soccer for those who don't know only um, is only participated in the two countries, Canada and, and United States. Mexico has its own soccer league, professional soccer league. Do we, do you know what it's called? Is it called the... I think it's like Liga MX. Liga MX, right. Liga and then MX. That's the name of the professional league in um, Mexico. Um, and what would you say that the professional league in Mexico is more popular around the world than the MLS? in your opinion um that's a good question um i that's a that's a really close one i think most people aren't 
in the in Europe aren't tuning in to watch anybody play in Mexico in general. Um, I think at the very least, the MLS kind of draws in those people that are fans of huge names. Um, I mean, Ronaldinho is the most recent one to go to Mexico, but I, I doubt many people tuned in at that late stage of his career. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure people wanted to see how Gerard would get on in his first game in the Galaxy or yeah. or Thierry Henry when he was playing in New York. I'm sure a lot of people tuned in to see those kind of games. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not really sure, but I would assume so. It's not like that's an int- that's actually I mean I I I hate to spring that question on you like kind of like that mm-hmm. because I mean it's not something we prepared to talk or talked about before, but I'm just now thinking about it just kind of with the whole World Cup bid in 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 the front in the foresight, um, yeah, um, it's an interesting idea. I wonder why that is. Um, you know, I think you could argue that the Mexico Liga MX, the Mexican Professional League, has a better soccer culture because I feel like there maybe is more commitment to the game of soccer in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Where and there's less competition from other sports for sure yeah. in terms of attention and like broadcast rights. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to to know that even though the U.S. and the MLS, which is the professional soccer league, isn't a priority, it still maybe has more broadcasting abilities worldwide because of just the way the U.S. is, you know, in terms of sports. Do you think it kind of like rides the coattails of the popularity of sports in general in the U.S.? Um, I don't think so. I think, I mean, it's not number one, two, or three. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You'd have to say like, like football, um, baseball and basketball, yeah. are, like dominate. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't, I, I don't see someone tuning in to see like a Galaxy game because they like the Lakers, um, but mm-hmm. I think I think in the sense that like, like Los Angeles could draw in a big talent like Zlatan, right? Right, and then people would want to watch Zlatan. He's been doing. He 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 had some really incredible goals. He's just um, like a box office type of player that's yeah. gonna draw people in. Yeah. I think those kind of names, th- like the MLS, has kind of taken risks on some players that are at the end of their careers. Mm-hmm. But you hear uh, Mesut Ozil say um, recently that he wanted to play in Turkey and um, the United States before he retires. Um, you hear Messi say that he wants to play in the United States before he retires. Same with Ronaldo. I think they know it like grows their brand. And I think they know people will tune in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point. That is a good point. I think yeah. you're right. I think it's maybe less about the broadcasting of mm-hmm. the U.S. And more of just like it's kind of a destination for people, for superstars to come to. Mm-hmm. I mean, the United States has a, a huge market, a commercial market, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we'll start with David Beckham, for example. He kind of kicked off the whole MLS celebrity stardom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he came to the galaxy in like 20 in the early 2000s and and kind of like yeah received a ton of popularity not not that he wasn't already popular yeah but definitely like being in los angeles you know what i mean mm-hmm. david beckham yeah it's like and when zlatan came not too long ago zlatan ibrahimovic he's a he's a really like world class um soccer player and when he came, I mean, I saw him on, like, Jimmy Kimmel and, like, mm-hmm. the late shows. And, like, mm-hmm. he definitely, it didn't definitely hurt his brand, even if, let's say, the soccer he was used to isn't as high here. You yeah. Know? And then also, I mean, you see Zlatan leave. Um, I think he's in his late 30s now. 
37, I think. 37. He goes back to AC Milan, and now they're, I think, at the top of the league as we filmed this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of... It, it, it makes you see, like... Zlatan came, um, he's pushing AC Milan to the top of the table, but he couldn't lead the Galaxy to a championship. I think a lot of players think they're just going to come here and dominate, but it's not that easy. Yeah, I think that's true. It might have been it might have been the case earlier in the in the league, but as we get bigger and bigger, 30 teams in the league and you know, the US gets more competitive and I feel like the qualities like skewing upwards over time. Um, yeah, it becomes harder and harder for people like in their late 30s at the end of their careers to just come over and walk to an MLS championship. But, um, but I mean, it doesn't stop. I don't think it stopped the MLS from trying to get people anyway to come anyway at any stage. Mm-hmm. You know? No, definitely not. But um, so, so going back to the World Cup in 2026, um, we're going to talk about a couple stadiums um, that... One that resides in Canada that hosts the Vancouver Whitecaps. They're one of the MLS teams. And we're going to also talk about um, one of the stadiums in Seattle that hosts uh, the Seattle Sounders of MLS. And uh, we're just going to go through them. Um, I'll actually have some some photos that I'll be able to add to the video. So when we talk about them, you'll see them. Um, so we're going to first start with BC Place. That's in Vancouver. Um, I know that the the video or the the World Cup map that we're looking at right now of the proposed stadiums that will host the 2026 does not include Vancouver. But I remember a couple years ago when the Women's World Cup was happening. This is the stadium that hosted the Women's World Cup final. So it's not a outside of the realm of possibility that it could be a World Cup venue. Um, and so... Yeah, so the BC BC place um, hosts Vancouver Whitecaps. I actually think the Vancouver Whitecaps for a, a, a good portion hasn't really been like in contention for being like a, a really like high quality or like a championship like team in the MLS. But I actually do think that there's an interesting story here. Um, Alfonso Davies mm-hmm. was. Um, started his career here in the Vancouver Whitecaps, and he's Canadian. But um, if you may not know, Alfonso Davies is like 20, right? Or 19, a really young guy. Very young, yeah. And he now plays, he started his professional career at the Vancouver Whitecaps, and he was traded or bought by a team in Germany called Bayern Munich for not a huge fee, but for a fee. Um and he now he now last season started for them as a left back, and in my opinion, I think he's probably in contention for the best left back in the in the world right now. Yeah, yeah, I think he's up there. He's definitely up there with like the like Robertson is kind of tailed off a little bit, but mm-hmm. you you have to look at like his contributions to goals and assists, and he's as good going forward as he is defending. Yeah. He's so quick. He could just make up that that space very yeah. very quickly. I think that's that I think that's really true. Um the the thing that separates him as a defender isn't necessarily like his eye for defending, but it's more like he's just so blisteringly fast mm-hmm. that it's like and there's not many people who could catch him in a foot race. Yeah. And and on top of that, I've saw when he when they played Barcelona, mm-hmm. Bayern Munich played Barcelona last year. Um, it, the he like dribbled past like 
the entire Barcelona defense. Yeah. And it wasn't even like Ronaldinho, like, I'm going to trick you. It mm-hmm. was like, I'm just going to burn you. Simp- yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think that's I think that's interesting that um, although Vancouver hasn't been in contention really for an uh, MLS Cup, I do think though that they've it's kind of it's kind of hard in my opinion it'd be hard to argue against, <laughs> but I think that they have produced probably the best MLS player that's ever come out of MLS. I don't know of anyone else who's hit that heights that quickly from MLS. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, the the latest before that was Almiron from right. from Atlanta. Yeah, but um, I can't think of another player that has reached those kind of heights that quickly. Yeah, so I I think that that's an important thing to 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 talk about. Um, the Vancouver Whitecaps, they have this beautiful stadium. It's a lot bigger than they use it for. Um, the capacity is fifty four thousand people, so it's a huge stadium. Um, but they when they play the Vancouver Whitecaps, they like. They have, like, you'll probably see it in the photos. They have, like, tarps that cover part of it, and they only have, like, 22,000 people uh, at the stadium when they play. But it still gets pretty, like, raucous and loud, so um, it's still a pretty cool place to go. Um, but, yeah, I think Alfonso Davies is probably, like, the highlight of uh, Vancouver, at least recently. Um, and I think he's a good poster child for the MLS in general. Um, so that's Vancouver. Um and so now we move on to Seattle. Now, uh, a couple of years ago, Andres and I actually went to uh, Seattle on a trip, and we actually saw a Seattle, Seattle Sounders game at what was then called Century Link Field, um, but now it's called Lumen Field. Um, and honestly, it's a it's a pretty nice stadium. Yeah, um, I liked it a lot. I think Seattle's just a beautiful um, city. And I think there's a lot that you can see in the in the background. Um, I forget it's Mount um, the, Rainier. Rainier. Yeah, yeah. You can see it in the background from from some of the seats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just a, a really um, beautiful stadium. Um, like the um, the Seattle Seahawks play there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really nice stadium. the the um, The environment was really cool. We actually ended up sitting somewhere where. They told us we like we weren't able to sit down. Um, we showed up and we were actually in the oh, standing yeah. section. That's a good story. Yeah, so um, it was pretty interesting. Um, we got to like experience the the standing section, which we've never really sat in the um, like they call it the Angel City Brigade section right. in the mm-hmm. Galaxy, where they stand and chant the whole game. We've usually been off to the side or something like that, but um, we were in that section of seattle so that was pretty interesting that was definitely an experience yeah um that's that was a that's a good story um so we we planned a trip to seattle and we wanted to catch an mls game just to see you know what what was what it was like um and so seattle sounders plays in the same stadium as the seattle seahawks of the nfl and so we bought our tickets and we showed up we sat in our seats but um the stadium's kind of open no matter which way you walk and so um, what happened was we were kind of like not far from the from the field, but not as close as we would have liked, I guess. So what happened was before the kickoff, we checked online to see which seats were still available. And I'm not saying you should do this, but you can. And um, we checked to see what was what hadn't been sold. And we went to those seats and just stood there and sat there. And so by the time the game started, we knew that we would be fine because no one had bought those seats. Mm-hmm. So, um, and yeah, and I remember the, the thing that really struck me as compared to the LA Galaxy and the, the games we've seen at the MLS there is um, 
they stand the whole game. Mm-hmm. They stand up and like they're like kind of more into it almost. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, at least where we were standing or sitting. Um, everyone was standing. Everyone was cheering. Um, and I remembered the the noise that they had when the teams were walking onto the field. Um, maybe it was because there's more people there. Um, but I think also it's just. I think they kind of go harder, to be honest. Like the Seattle Seattleites, I feel like are um, maybe more raucous, more loud. Do you think? Um, yeah, I think they probably carry over some of the energy from watching the Seahawks. Um, I think also, like, like I feel like LA fans are kind of spoiled. Um, so I feel like they lost the Seattle Supersonics a while back. So I think when they have a team, they really, like, learn to appreciate them. Mm. Not that they didn't appreciate the Supersonics, but they never know when a team could just leave them. Mm. So I think they... That's true, that's true. The Seattle Supersonics were um, a basketball team that were in Seattle. And actually, it's weird that Seattle doesn't doesn't have a basketball team. Yeah, they're talking about an expansion possibly soon. Um, and th- that's one of the places being mentioned. Yeah. But, yeah, that'd be cool to see the Supersonics come back. That'd mm-hmm. be cool. But yeah, so in terms of um, what is now called Lumen Field in Seattle, um, capacity for NFL sometimes can get up to 72,000 people, which is huge. Um, But for the MLS, it usually is um, around 37,000, which is still a lot bigger than the LA Galaxy and most stadiums, I think, in California for soccer. So so that's pretty cool. but yeah, I, I think Seattle is a cool place to go see soccer um, and sports in general, I think. Pretty nice city, too. Um, I remember when we went, it wasn't actually very rainy, was it? It was actually pretty sunny. Yeah, I don't think it rained while we were there. Yeah, I remember that, um, which is kind of odd because Seattle's known for being rainy and gloomy. But um, but yeah, definitely a cool place to go. Um, so with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Um, I appreciate it for for everyone who's watching on YouTube. Go ahead, like, and subscribe if you uh you like the podcast and uh yeah catch us on instagram spotify youtube um omni football podcast thanks for coming thanks for having me yeah and uh have a great week guys stay gold